Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today we speak with Tom Van Winkle. He's the CEO and executive director of the Hinsdale Humane Society in Chicagoland. We talked about how pets are screened for adoption, how people are screened for adoption, the language you need to use when you're screening, as well as how to help people foster animals, how to help people who are deployed find either a foster or a new home, depending on their deployment, and really the networking and collaboration that needs to be done by all to find each pet that right home. Let's hear what Tom has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and thank you so much for joining us for this next episode of Why Do Pets Matter? I'm here with my good friend, Tom Van Winkle, and he is the director and CEO of the Hinsdale Humane Society in Illinois. Tom, thanks so much for being on Why Do Pets Matter? Oh my gosh. Well, let me thank you for uh, having me, Deborah, and, and let me apologize for being a little bit late today. Uh, it's been, as you know, in the shelter world, you can't always predict what days are going to day to day is going to be like. So um, today I was just running a little bit late, so I do appreciate your patience. But uh, hey, no worries, no worries. This is, this is interesting because you know we all know that everybody's got a lot of balls in the air, and so in a humane society, you have so many—not just the animals, but the administrative work. I went once to. Uh, Humane Society in Fort Worth, Texas, and sat down and talked to all the people there. And it was the most illustrative meeting I'd ever had and they'd ever had because we had the volunteers, the veterinarians, and the administrators all sitting down together talking. And you would not believe the different perspectives that people brought to the um, discussion Mm -hmm. and the misconceptions that people brought. And so when they got to sit down, they walked out saying, Wow, this was the best three hours. It flew by three hours I've ever spent. And so I've tried to do that for every humane society because it's hard to do it by yourself because everybody says, oh, well, uh, you're biased for this or you're biased for that. <laughs> when I walk in, nobody's biased for me. I mean, I'm just there listening. There uh, but I'm so glad you're here. You're bringing such a refreshing um, look at the humane societies to the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. So, of course, we ask our guests every time they're here. Why do pets matter to you, Tom? Well, uh, you know, I could give the, the typical answer, and these are all very valid answers that, you know, they, they matter because they bring friendship and loyalty and companionship. Um, but I, I'll be real honest with you that um, for me, the, the deep-seated reason is because I, th- I think pets um, are – 
completely at our disposal, our human disposal. They are the ones who either receive all of our kindness and our love, or they can receive all of our anger and, and abuse. And even the biggest, baddest, scariest animal is still at our whim. And it breaks my heart to see uh, when I'm growing up and just seeing animals that are not treated well and need help. And um, so they matter to me because I think they're, because they're a living creature that feels pain and sadness and just like we all do. And um, so it, it, that's why that's why they matter to me. And that's why I do what I do. I, I have to say that was such a thoughtful answer because people have different ways of caring for their pets. And we have to be always aware of how I take care of my pet versus how you take care of your pet. But if the dog is thriving and doing yep. well. It might be fine. However, it's not sleeping in my bed, um, but it's sleeping in your bed because that's where you want it. And I know that that's such a hard line to draw because we all have our own ideas of how to um, treat a pet. So when you say that, you know, especially now with the pandemic, um, that people have pets, some are new pet owners who have like are clueless, have no Mm -hmm. clue on how to (laughs) care for a pet. You know, when they go to work, um, when they get older, uh, they didn't have a clue how to care for a pet pretty much when they were puppies. Hopefully when they got them from the shelters, they were a little older. So you had that going for you. They were out of that chew your good shoes or your legs of your chair stage. Right. Uh, but when you in the Humane Society see people coming in to adopt or coming in to drop off, how do you hold your own biases in place? And then how do you... Um, enable people to either consider keeping them if that's the right thing for the pet. I'm always about the right thing for the pet. You know, why do pets But how do you, how do you um, evaluate that? Well, you know, first of all, let me, you know, it's, it's really easy to make, make ourselves sound like, Oh, well, this is all I do, right? This is how easy it is. And it's not, it's very hard. We all have biases. We all have that snap decision when we see something or when someone comes in and the truth of the matter is, is to really, um, I, I, for myself and my staff, I say, you know, consciously, you know, consciously tell yourself not to think that put yourself in the other, in either that person's shoes or the, or the animal's shoes. Like you said, you know, the, you know, the pet who doesn't sleep on the bed versus the pet that does sleep on the bed. Well, you know, if they're sleeping on a, on a nice floor and a, a nice bed or a nice, or a nice blanket or something is, you know, if you look at that pet, is it really suffering? Is it really, I mean, it's, it's in a nice home, it's warm, it's well-fed, et cetera. So the same thing when people walk in the door, you know, there's, there's, uh, I forget, I think it was Robin Williams who once said, you know, you'd never know what, what um, other people are going through. And I can't, I think, I think so I phrased that wrong. I think I phrased that wrong, but yep. he, his, his point was, you know, you don't, you don't know, like, you know, I put on a good show. I try to, I try not to show when I'm having a bad day. I try not to show when things are really bad for me, but I might be having a really rotten day. And this is just because I, you know, someone walks in the door that is um, may not look the way we think they're supposed to look. Don't just consciously make your, don't make assumptions. Um, and like you said, you know, I think just force us to you know, sit down, talk to them and find out what's going on and, um, and actually have some faith in, <laughs> have some faith in human beings that they're not going to, you know, that's, I was, I was, I was laughing, like, who's going to come in and pay, you know, a hundred bucks or $200 or whatever it is to adopt because they want to abuse an animal. I mean, how they could, they don't have to come in to adopt from us if they're going to mistreat an animal. So the people that come in to adopt from us, it's like, well, that's an easy one, right? They want to do the right thing. That's why they're here. So let's don't, let's don't worry about what they look like. Um, yeah. and 
work with them. I actually had someone who went to a humane society who called me on the phone afterward and they said, you know, they wanted to come to my house and look at my house. And they asked me all these questions and all I wanted to do was adopt a dog, not, you know, get their child. And I said, well, to the, the humane society is like their child. However, what does the humane society, your humane society actually do um, to screen people? But then also that key phrase, because it, it often drives me nuts. And we've talked about this before. Once the dog is through the doors, okay, so I passed muster and you let me adopt this dog. What do you do to assure that this person isn't in over their head or um, isn't doing something they think is perfectly? <laughs> there he is. We there he is. Sorry about um, that. No, no, it's fine. We have barking on this show all the time. Um, whether or not they're in over their head or whether or not they just need some guidance. Well, um, you know, the, you know, the, what we, we have, our, our requirements are pretty, are pretty easy. You know, they're pretty, um, I'll say we've changed them over the years. So we try to learn from our mistakes. We used to be much more strict and we'd ask you for, you know, everything from <laughs> your, your tax records from 25 years ago to, you know, to, to, you, you know, and, what and you when you asked for my firstborn son, depending on the day you would have gotten him. Exactly. You know, those kind of things, you know, over the years, we've been in that same boat. What we do now is the, the only thing we really check on is, uh, landlord approval because we've we have been in a situation uh, enough times where um, either a person a family did not know the rules of their of their rental or hadn't checked or were trying to skirt something so we do um, we still do that because we have uh, been in, in that situation where we just feel that animals have been returned and put in situations that they're it's not the best situation for them because people don't know so we'll just ask for landlord's number or some people just bring in their rental contract and it says right in there, we can have a dog up to 20 or a cat or whatever, 20, 25 pounds. And that's all we need. Everything else we don't check on. We, we do everything else through conversation. So we do ask a lot of questions just not to pry, but just to get an idea of, you know, are you planning on having your pet sleep outside or inside? You know, in the summers in Illinois, that gets pretty hot, but it's not really that bad. I mean, dogs can sleep outside if given the proper water and food and shelter and everything else and a, a nice fenced in yard or someplace to keep them safely confined. So we, we try not to, um, to say one size fits all, but we do every, try to do most stuff through the conversation so we can, we can engage the folks and they can have, talk to us. And then afterwards we have three follow-ups. We do an email follow-up and we do a couple of phone, phone call follow-ups um, up to three weeks after the adoption to just check in and we don't, you know, we don't ask to put the dog or the cat on the phone or we don't ask for a video chat to make sure they're okay. We don't do any of that. We just call and we offer our help and we just leave a message and just say, Hey, you know what? We know that now that now fluffy should be acclimating to your household is if, if he or she is doing anything that is troubling to you, let us know, see if we can work through it. So you don't have, you can keep the pet in your home and not return them to us. And then, if, I mean, we're here for the life of the pet. So people can always contact us and we touch base periodically, but nothing, you know, but beyond that, my feeling is that, you know, beyond, you know, it's, it's their pet and um, you know, short of, mistreating you know they they they'll raise the pet just like they raise their children differently than how i raise my child but they come out happy and healthy then that's the most important thing and it's not for us to dictate what they do with that pet i know that is the the most delicate line to walk because here you are giving a dog to someone a young puppy who's totally impressionable or an older dog with history that everybody did their best mm -hmm. to try to tease out but may not know everything um, and so you're, 
I know in the purebred dog world, we always say you can't, you know, give this dog away after you turn it. And I believe the rescues and shelters also have that kind of clause in it, uh, which people do or do not abide by. And how would you know? Well, if the dog is microchipped, when it pops up, they're going to know. If the dog isn't microchipped, it's a free fall. Um, But I find sometimes, and maybe you've experienced this as well, that some people are afraid to call because they think you'll think they're not a good pet owner or that they're a failure or that, you know, they're stupid. And that's the furthest thing from either a breeder's mind or should be, you know, I work with Mm -hmm. breeders all the time to have them not be judgmental of people because quite frankly, you know, they gave this dog to this person. They believe this person would be a really good home. But if the person made a few mistakes, you can either jump down their throat and make them never call you again. Or as you said, you can sort of tease out some questions, both at the time they pick up the dog, but then when you call those three times to make them feel as if they really can pick up the phone yeah. and call. Absolutely. We, you know, our policy is we, we want people to know that we are always here and we'll always take the pets back, but it's not so much as a requirement. I mean, it's not like, well, if you don't, we're going to come out after you with the law. I mean, it's it, some humane societies do. I must say, they some do. Oh, they absolutely, do. they do. They they have and some. Then some then they'll never call you then. No, absolutely, they'll never call you. They'll never let you know. And quite frankly, what are your? I mean, the, the amount of money and the amount of time, and then your chances of succeeding after I give my pet to my neighbor. You know, um, in Illinois, pets are property, so I can you know give my pet to my neighbor legally, and now. What are the chances of enforcing that contract to come back to the neighbor and take something? And I'm not saying it could never happen, but do we have, does anyone ever stop and look and go, oh my God, the dogs or cats in a great spot with the neighbor. So why would I want to take it from them? We get so hung up on this that, you know, they're be right instead of getting it right. Exactly. You know, and it's, and if, if you, you exactly what you just said is if you, if we approach it at, we are here for you, we will take the pet back non-judge, you know, non-judgmentally. We want the best for your pet. So if you, you know, please bring them back to us because we will, we'd rather have you do that than let them loose on the streets or do something else to them. But quite frankly, if they can, you know, if they have someone who's going to give that pet a good home, that's great. That's, that's, that's awesome. That means one less cage is filled here. I can have enough. I have a couple open space for another pet that's in dire need. I'm so glad <laughs> you said that because when I teach the map course every Wednesday night at 630, which is the jur- navigating the journey your pet takes and you can't care for it. I often say when you adopt a dog from a shelter or rescue, it says in the contract that you cannot place this dog. Now, you can violate the law, like you said, and just give it to the neighbor who knows the dog, who loves the dog, the dog loves the neighbor. Everybody's happy. You can do that. And then maybe there'll be consequences. Or as you rightly said, as an attorney, I will tell you, it is incredibly expensive to be right. Um, <laughs> it is so much better to get it right and and say, hey, Tom, what's, what's this about? You know, who's got the dog? And, you know, we want to support them as well. Let us know, not because we want to take the dog back, which sometimes that's a ruse. And then they go take the dog back, which is a whole nother story we could talk about. But in the map plan, you know, I deal with people who co-own dogs with big breeders um, or who have a dog from a shelter of humane and never read, nobody ever reads contracts, but that's a whole nother podcast we can talk about because (laughs) nobody reads contracts. So, so, I mean, even attorneys, I have attorneys who adopt dogs and I go, did you read the contract that says A, B and C? And they go, I didn't see that. And I said, well, go back and read the contract and call me back. And they go, oh my God, Deborah, it's there. But if you if you understand that, and I loved when you said it, we, we want an empty cage for another dog 
If you found a fabulous home for your dog and you can't keep it, A, let us know. B, let us meet this person. And C, we'll be on board because you know what? That other person knows the dog now better than we do because it's been with you for three years. You lost your job. You lost your house. I mean, during the pandemic, so much happened. But the neighbor might not have. And the neighbor, you know, might say, listen, I'm only going to have the dog for two or three years so they get on their feet or I'll keep it forever. And then everybody's in the loop. I often say that, you know, making sure that you address the needs of the pet and you appoint caregivers. And then when you appoint caregivers, if you have a rescue or shelter, let them know. Because, you know, they really do want to support you and that dog, mostly the dog or the cat or the bird or the horse, whatever you're, you know, adult. But you really just need everybody in the loop to be um, transparent, you know? I, I wanna make sure that, you know, Tom knows that I have a great neighbor where this dog could go. And if I approach him before I need it and say, and maybe Tom's a little cranky that day and he might say, wait a minute, the contract says. Yeah. However, if you teach somebody how to speak, um, even if Tom is cranky that day, you say, I know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not putting the dog there now, but if something happens, I want you to know that I have this plan and I'd love for you to be yep. the first person. But like you just said, I, I want an empty cage for a dog that really needs it. The second person can be my neighbor and you'll know, and then the neighbor will get it and everybody will be happy. Absolutely. And also two other benefits are now the neighbor knows that we're still here for that pet. So if they get themselves in a situation at any time and they don't have someone to give that pet to, that they know to come back to us and they know that we're not going to be, well, where did you get this pet? And why are you having somebody, someone else and the microchip? So now how many people are giving pets away without telling anyone, not, re, not re-registering the microchip because it goes to the new owner because they're not thinking about it. So now we as a humane society or rescue or animal control can go to the new pet owner get to know them or just say, Hey, here's information on how you can re-register that microchip in your name. So now if your pet gets lost, it will find you and it won't go back to try to find the original owner who has now moved on and doesn't know, you know, he can't get contact with them. So it's a dead end ship. So it, it, I'm firm believer that yes, there are definitely people out there that are going to skirt the law for bad and affair. I mean, we all know that there are bank robbers and there are speeders and there's all kinds, but most people aren't. Most pet owners want to do the right thing. They just and need direction. Need direction. And by working with them, guess what? You'll still find the bad ones. If you work with them, you're still going to find the ones that are hurting the animals. They're, they're going to come out. They're still going to skirt you. That isn't changing. Someone who wants to do something wrong is still going to do it wrong, whether we're nice or not, you know, yeah. and, but, it, but, because I believe, like I said, I believe the majority of them, that if we can work with that new pet, that old pet owner who gives that pet away, it, it's going to be better for the pet in the long run. Yeah, um, it so really I, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if we all work together, I think less dogs will be homeless. And now with this, you know, post pandemic um, fear that's running through Facebook and Twitter on how all these, I mean, there was an article, I think in, um, I, people or it was in the New York Times. Oh, it was in the New York Times where people are dropping their dogs because of the pandemic. They're returning them all because they're returning to work. And I said, okay, we can do that. Feed the flames, you know, feed the flames mm-hmm. and fire and piss everybody off and get everybody up in arms. Or we can say, okay, so people's lives are changing again because it wasn't enough to change last March. We now are changing again. And what can we do? Well, there are kids that are still going to school or not going to school, you know, there are possible, you know, 4-H or Boy Scout groups that can earn a badge by, you know, building a little business on how to walk. Yep. You know, the shelters can work hand in hand with local community members 
and people can work hand in hand because it might just be that, as you said, you said it perfectly, they just don't know what they don't know. And if we can educate them in a way that doesn't make them feel stupid, which is key, um, it, you can really ha- help them help themselves. Right. And, you know, and the thing is that pre-COVID and after COVID, we're back to normal. This is the same thing we've, we've all been, we've been facing forever. Impulse adoptions happen. Oh it's my- not new. COVID kind of put the spotlight on it. And yes, more happened. So that, that did, but you know, our, our ability as professionals to, to deal with that, that's, that's not, that shouldn't be anything new to us because people have impulse buys or impulse adoptions I've got a lot all of the time, right? So, impulse buys. Yeah. So it's, you know, so it happens all the time. So it, it, it shouldn't be this big. I mean, again, it should be like, yes, we want to deal with it. Yes. We want to help people, the pets in their home. So don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying the, the fact that shelters such as mine are seeing more animals trying to come in and that and that's a problem we have, but our response to it shouldn't be, negative of the people that are bringing them back or negative to the, the adopters say, you didn't think about it. Well, they did think about it. They were thinking about it in their current world. They thought they're going to do it because I know my adoption, my staff did ask them, what are you going to do when you go back to work? Well, everyone, you know, so they thought about it and they thought they could, they thought it would work out and it's not. And guess what? Even if they didn't think about it, what's the matter? We're still sitting there with a dog or a cat that's trying to come back in that we want to keep in the, in the home. If we focus on the problem, I, I learned this in business 101, you know, focus on the problem and not the people yeah. don't, I mean, it's, it's a done deal. I mean, <laughs> they adopted a year ago. Now they're, now they're back at your door. It doesn't matter whether they should have or not should have. It's just, let's work on it. Can we repair that relationship? Can we help them keep the pet in their home? I guarantee if you make them feel bad and guilty, like you said, oh, yeah. you point out, they won't come. I won't, I won't ever see them. They'll go to another shelter and lie yeah. and just say, yeah. oh, you know, drop them or just I say, oh, yeah. dog on the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, it, it's interesting. I love the way you're, you're chatting because I'm sure you can give us um, chapter and verse on how really good people in the humane society and in the shelter world um, have the ability to bring people in and really understand them because as you and I have spoken about, it's it's always important not to make people feel bad if they're turning a dog in, uh, because A, it likely is not easy for them. Mm-hmm. It's not a pair of shoes, like I jokingly said before. They probably are attached to this dog, and they might think the best thing for this dog is to find a new home. And and yep. so we, we need to really take a minute to respect that they might have thought this through and realized Oh shit, right. I'm in a bad way. And I, and you know, the sad thing is, and I don't know what the policy is with your humane society, but once I give that dog up, you know, and Murphy's law, the next day I get a job and a house and everything else. And I go <laughs> back and, and, and see if the dog is available. What are, what happens then? Right. Um, so try to, so it, so you, um, you, you re- release the dog on a Friday cause you just are at wit's end. And on Monday you get you that want- call from that job. Indeed, you know, and uh, you got the job and then your friend calls and says, hey, I just rented an apartment. You want to be my roommate. So you got a place to stay and it allows dogs. What do you do then? Right. Well, that's you know, that's what what do we you know, we, um, you know, in in that, quite frankly, we would have a real heart to heart. Um, Mm -hmm. We I'm, I'm not a believer in 
again, unless you come in and no one's ever done this to me in, all, in my 20 plus years, no one's come in and said, I'm going to abuse this animal. But if you said that, I probably would say that I'm not going to adopt to you. But in this situation, we probably have more of a heart to heart in that situation just to make sure, again, that the, the roommate situation and the job are, are, are going to pan out. Um, because it is, you know, to take the other side, it is stressful for the animal to go to a Absolutely. home and then come right back. So I can't say that we'd be like, oh yeah, this, you know, now that it's all worked out three days later, we're going to go ahead and just, um, not pretend nothing happened because we also, uh, we also need to look at the past and, and learn from it. Right. And say, okay, well, this was a situation. Let's talk this through. Let's look at the animal, that, you know, let's look at the pet that you're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. But I can't say also that I would not adopt to that person, uh, okay. I'd have to have that conversation. And, um, and, and let me say, and supper as well. Right. Exactly. So I interrupt yeah. you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I want to make sure that I, you know, I'm, I'm coming off. I don't want to make sure I'm not coming off too harshly on my own, my own peeps here. You know, there are many, 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 many places, shelters, animal control rescues that do all this stuff. I'm not, Absolutely. I'm not the golden child by any means by, Oh gosh, this is what we do. And no one else does it. Well, I think what I'm talking about walks into a humane society and shelter goes in with best intentions. And as we said at the beginning, sometimes our biases, we just need to be aware of them. Exactly. And, and uh, there's many people in our industry that, that do this and that are working for it. We've uh, one of the nice things I, I've been on some committees where our industry leaders are say, we recognize that we, that the historically, we as an industry may not have been as open as we should have been. We, whether that's, uh, you know, a racial bias, a, a gender bias, a sexual orientation bias, or just whatever it is. Right. And That's we are I working as a question bias, yeah, the question bias, exact question bias. I mean, there's lots of talk about that, about how we can you know, improve ourselves as an industry. And I commend all of my colleagues and peers who are doing that to sit through because it's hard to self-reflect. It's hard for anybody. It's hard for me to go, Oh, darn. I just, <laughs> I just broke my own rule. Right. I, I judged this person based on their skull and crossbone t-shirt and I judged on what that, what that meant and, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I, I, I believe in everything I've been saying, and I think there's many, many more people out there that are better at than I am. They're, they're really working hard to make our industry, um, exactly what we're talking about. Very family focused, very focused on both the animal and the, and the people. <clears throat> It's really important, I think, to do that uh, from both points of view, because I certainly don't want an animal going back to someone um, who gave them up in a very emotional give up and then found, you know, the job in the house. And, and so it might be that let's give it a month or two. And if right. the dog is adopted, great. And if it isn't adopted, come back and see us. Let's see if it works. Because you really want to, you understand the pain and agony and and so if that's the scenario, I'm sure you've never had anyone leave your shelter angry. But when you do, what are the usual reasons for people leaving angry? Usually, uh, well, they... Denial of it's probably one of them. Well, that's just it. The, the, reason, the reason they leave angry is because they didn't get what they wanted, right? And um, oftentimes that is because they either the, the, the pet they came in to see just got adopted, so it's not there, or they were denied. We, we 
uh, we, I, I can only think of like one time in my entire career that we've flat out denied someone. We have said, we have said this pet is not right for you. We'd like you to come back. So I guess that would be a denial of that particular pet, but we've, there's only been one person or one family where I said, you should not have an animal. <laughs> you, you gave all the wrong answers of everything we talked about. Um, and that's only, you know, so that's a pretty good. So we're but, trying to protect you from yourself. Exactly. But it's usually they didn't what they want. And the other side of it is a miscommunication from a staff member or a volunteer. So it's not only it's we um, we made the problems worse by um, communicating in a way that took a little bit of a, a, a spark or a little tiny flame and we threw gasoline on it and the flame was, they didn't get what they wanted or they owned, they owed a fine. So we do, we have animal control contracts. So we hold stray animals. So when people owners come find their pets, sometimes it's a fine put on by the villages or whatever, a rightful fine. And they're not happy that they have to, it costs as much as they do. And then we, didn't do a really good job of being empathetic, sympathetic, or just in the way we communicated. And we took a little bit of a flame and we blew it into a, you know, yeah. a fern- inferno. So, um, not always, it's not, it's always, sometimes no, people no, don't, sometimes you know, some- and I wanted to bring that to the audience because I want everyone to understand that, um, as we said at the beginning, everyone comes in with their own experiences in a given day, maybe you had a fight with your husband or wife, maybe you had a fight with your kid, maybe you got stuck in traffic, maybe somebody hit your car. So when you walk in the door, maybe the first person you see who may say something that triggers you, yep. you have to really be aware of, I often say there was one um, uh, client that I had who had a group of people together and, and one of the uh, employees said, yeah, I come in with my Um, nasty pants on and I have to let everybody know I have my nasty pants on so that I can stay away. And then it takes me about a half hour, maybe after two cups of coffee. And I said, well, that's really good to let people know, but how can we help you recognize it so you can nip it in the bud uh, before it nips somebody else in the butt because you really don't want to be that nasty person. I mean, it's great. And it is so important. You and I have talked about this, Mm -hmm. be aware of your triggers and what's going to set you up. So when Tom says this, it just grates on my nerves because he says it all the time. And yep. then what you can do is, and I do this with my husband all the time, so I know it works. Um, when my husband says things that are triggers, I start to laugh and not <laughs> laugh at him, but right. I laugh myself that it really hits me the same time and the same way every time he says yep. it. And so if we can figure that out, if we can sit around in a group and say, okay, when somebody says this, well, I want to tie the dog out so that it'll bark at everybody walking by. Okay, so tell us how that would really work well for the dog. You know, just give it a little, you know, uh, we understand it. It, it. You know, it's it's just the way in which you um, ask curious questions yep, um, yep. and set boundaries, which are important. Now, I want to ask you this question because this is a question that comes up in my MAP program all the time. So we have the eight Ds, and one of the Ds is deployment. Mm-hmm. So do you find that a lot of dogs are dropped off um, when people are deployed, uh, and, and is there a process? I know there are some groups out there that will help foster dogs of deployed soldiers, but some of them might come through your door. Um, I can't say a lot. Yes, we do see that. Uh, and I have seen that in my, in in my career. Um, uh, you can, you know, uh, a lot is that subjective term, depending on, you know, one might be a lot to some people with, we right. don't, we don't see it on a regular basis, but it does happen. Yes. Um, 
and what we we um, so we, we generally will we'll talk to you know talk to the soldier, ask what you know, try to figure out the length of time for that for that deployment. Um, and you know if it's going to be a long deployment, if they feel it's going to be for a couple of years or things like that. If it's overseas and we, add, you know, sometimes the best thing is to find a new home for that particular pet. If it's a short term or they aren't really sure and we, and if we had the resources, you know, we can, there are fosters that will do that. Now, what we've, what we've been trying to do, and I'll say that this is awesome because there's a lot of um, shelters and no, rescues in, exactly in the area that do this, that, that have services that we don't offer. So we're, so uh, I'm part of a coalition group here in Chicago that we work together exactly for this reason. So that if it's not a service that we provide, but I know of another group that does, then we can make um, firsthand referrals and get the people the, the help they need. And this could be for an officer for deployment. It could be the homeless uh issues could be um, a battered woman who wants to keep their pet and is trying to find shelter. There are um, many organizations in Chicago land area, because that's just where we are at, across the country that some offer a more in-depth set of resources for one issue and others offer in-depth resources for other issues. So we're actually uh, collaborating together to say, well, look, I do this really well. You do that really well. Why don't I send these folks your way and work together to find the help again for, in this particular example, the soldier and the pet. If it's not me, who cares? If it's, if it's my neighbor shelter, my neighbor rescue, who can do it. At the end of the day, what does our, what is our shared mission? It's to help the animals. Right. And of course, we're going to help people on the way. But a shared mission of every single animal welfare organization out there is we're trying to save animals' lives. That's the one shared mission. So, what do I care where it happens? Well, you you know, know. I, I love that because if you don't have a program, all of you are working together, keeping in touch. You're not holding it close to the chest. It's mine. It's mine. I'm not going to yep. share it. But rather, listen, we actually have a lot of people who want to foster um, dogs with deployment. And if you have one come up, let us know, because we might have a foster who will take it for two years because, you know, they're in a position to take a dog for two years. I know there are many people and you probably have them in the shelter that you know to call when an older dog comes in because yeah. the owner died. And these people just always take the older dogs. Yep, absolutely. We have that. And we should share that information because if you want to get to the other side of it and say, well, what about the finances? It's actually more efficient and saves more money. Why would I want it? Why, why duplicate my efforts if the shelter down the street has a really strong foster program and they do exactly what you're saying? Why wouldn't we share those resources? Because then we can utilize our funding for another area and they can focus their funding on that particular area. Now, um, donors will be happier because their money is going to be going more of their money is going to be going directly to animal help. Who cares what shelter it is? And then we can focus, each of us can focus on those things that we're really strong in. Yeah. We're all going to do adoptions. We're all going to do intake uh, just to some degree, because that's just obviously the basis for how, how we are. But when you get into veterinary care, foster care, vet volunteers, things of that, humane education is another great one. You know, there's, you know, can you, can we partner up with groups that may not have a human education program, but another one has a really robust one. Why not partner up and why, why hire the staff and pay all that money for to duplicate efforts when you're 10 miles apart or five miles apart, right? When you can um, focus those efforts on other areas that are badly needed. You know, this has been such a fabulous talk and I know I'm going to have you back because we never touched on why you should have insurance. Um, um, I know. Can you believe it? I told you. Oh my God. <laughs> really fast. Um, so what, what I really want to um, wrap up now is that 
we talked about the fact that um, pets are really part of the family, but it might be a different definition of family and a different definition of care, but that doesn't mean the pet isn't well cared for. We talked about how to have that conversation in a way that brings people back, um, how to share responsibilities with um, shelters and rescues by possibly finding a new home for a dog you might not be able to keep, but communicating that with the shelter because not only do you want to remain within your contract terms, but you also want to give the shelter the opportunity to say, hey, Deborah, by the way, you're the new owner of Fluffy um, and we're here to support you as well, which is what I tell people all the time. The, the, it's much easier to just know who the dog's going to and maybe even enter into a contract with them so they know that you're held to the same standards and they're held to the same standards. So everybody knows what everybody's doing. And finally, I love that you said, you know, we're networking and we're collaborating because why should we all invent every wheel known to man that is needed? If there's mm-hmm. a stronger um, ability for somebody to have deployment fosters, great. If there's somebody who has a better ability to have um, older dogs and have fosters for older dogs, or maybe they have a huge adoption list who want dogs mm-hmm. that are left behind. I mean, the MAP plan always talks about rescue or your uh, breed-specific rescue if you have a purebred dog is the last and best bastion of who's going to care for your dog if something happens to you. Um, because you really want to make sure that's in line, letting the people know, right? So here we are networking and collaborating to make sure the one thing that is the most important in your life and in my life, which is why do pets matter? The pets matter. So if we do a little of this talking and a little of this collaboration and networking, the end result is that all the pets that, um, find homes, stay in their homes, need homes, find homes, or who need temporary homes, find people who are willing to give that to them. Absolutely. I'm a firm believer that it's, you know, we need to learn to trust each other um, a little bit more, trust that the organization that we may not have a great history with, that's actually trying as hard as we are to do the right thing, right? So we just need to trust each other a little bit more. And we just need to be able to, and, you know, dial it back on giving some things up. Don't, don't worry about whether you solve the, whether I'm going to solve the world's problems. We solve it together. No one, no one person does anything. So stop worrying about a little bit less about whether we do the adoption or you do the adoption or we do the healthcare, or you do the healthcare, you know, stand proud that that partnership, we all contributed to the, the betterment of, for the animals. You know, so that wraps it up for us, but I yep. want to add that it's about getting it right, not being right. Um, And it's really about having boundaries that work for everyone. Um, And also asking curious questions as opposed to being judgmental. Because when I hear what you say, if I take it in and judge it, it's going to have a different effect than if I maybe say, wow, I don't really think I heard Tom right. Let me ask a curious question. And then Tom go, oh, no, that's not what I meant. I meant this. Because if you come down and say, what do you mean? Well, that right, defensive, reactive, I'm never going to. But if you say, wow, I think I misunderstood you. Could you you say that again? Because I I think I didn't hear it. I mean, I think we got on this before we turned on the recording. I must have said three times I was having a, you know, a really weird day. So uh, let us all be a little more um, collaborative. Let us network. Let us ask curious questions and be less judgmental. Tom, I'm going to have you back on because we have so much more to talk about. (laughs) Thank you so much. And until next time, this is Deborah Hamilton. And you're listening to the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. 
please subscribe, please comment, please rank, because we really do enjoy having you here. And until next time, why do pets matter? Because they make our lives better. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.